Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this show, we look at why the Astros continue to be scary good and why some ex-Rockets might be the key to the last four teams who can win an NBA title. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, outside of Alex Bregman's injury, it was a perfect week for Astros fans. Boy, it sure was. Um, I, I have to admit, you know, Robert, there's a couple of characteristics about what a good team is. You know, one is that you beat the teams you're supposed to beat, like the Rangers. And, uh, of course, as we're recording this, they've only played one game against the Orioles. But, you know, it was the Orioles and <laughs> the Astros handled them according to the way they should, and albeit in kind of a weird fashion. But, you know, the other is that you beat the teams that you more than likely will see in the postseason. And, uh, you know, the sweep of the White Sox, I got to say, Robert, that caught me a bit by surprise, even though, yeah, the Astros have been playing a lot better. They, they seem to have stabilized in a number of areas. But that, to me, was a big step forward. But, uh, again, I, I always say these things with caution because it's such a long season and there have been so many injuries and just so many weird things happening. But, you know, you've got to feel good. I mean, it, as we're taping this, it, they're in sole possession of first place. They caught Oakland. So, you know, you can't get much better than that really over the last couple of weeks. Not just a four-game sweep of the White Sox, a destruction of a combined score of that those, those four games, 27-8. to eight. And, Stephen, we knew this four-week stretch of baseball could be the ultimate test since May 25th. They played the Dodgers, Padres, Red Sox, Blue Jays, Twins, Rangers, and White Sox, which is about as much of a test as you can get. The record, 17-7 and seven against those teams. And here's your stat of the week. Overall, their record against 500 or above teams this year, 35-19, and 19, the best in baseball. Well, that, that's why I say, you know, it, it, it has to make you feel good in the sense that, you know, if you were having trouble against teams that are 500 or better and, and some that you may likely see in the playoffs, that, that would be a very troubling thing. Um, but that's, I think, one of the real keys as to why you, you have to put the Astros, like it or not, you know, those of you haters, <laughs> you've got to put the Astros in the conversation right now of you know, one of the best teams in the league. They're certainly the hottest team in baseball right now. That's for sure. I got some more good news for everybody because I went to the remaining strength of schedule. The Astros have the sixth easiest schedule in baseball the rest of the year. The A's have the sixth toughest schedule in baseball the rest of the year. Well, that's that certainly bodes well. Um, although... You know, if you're going to stub your toe, sometimes it, you can do it in the worst possible situations. And let's hope the Astros don't stub their toe against teams that that they should beat. Uh, but that but that is a key thing, and uh, can't wait until the Astros. If, if the Astros continue on this pace, I can't wait for them to meet the A's again, and uh, maybe even put some more distance between the two teams. That would be great. If you look at the OPS leaders in all of baseball, and we got to talk about offense because it just keeps going and going. The Astros, five players in the top 20 in OPS in baseball, Altuve, Correa, Brantley, Yuli, and Jordan, uh, the usuals. Those same five guys are all in the top 20 in batting average. Michael, the metronome, Brantley leads baseball in batting average right now as we speak. 
How about that? But but should we be surprised, really? I, I mean, this guy is just, I call him Mr. Consistent. You call him the metronome, whatever nickname you want to put to him. I, I mean, this guy just continues to do what, you know, what's expected of him. But, man, it just, day in and day out, this guy is the most consistent hitter in the Astros lineup, you know, year after year since he's been there. Well, what I've been impressed with most, Robert, it's just that you know, you know some of the the lesser known players or players who haven't played very much now even they're getting into the act. You know we're we're seeing flashes from guys like Chaz McCormick, Robel Garcia. You know who's that guy? Um, Miles Straw is is playing better. You know even these guys are contributing to the Astros offense, and I I think that as much as anything is is what has helped them stand out so much lately. Who was this Abraham Toro who played against the White Sox this weekend? And what did he do with the real Abraham Toro? <laughs> yeah, you got to throw Abraham Toro because, yeah, what did he had uh, three, four hits in the Sunday's game. So, yeah, it, it's so good to see that. That's really it is you expect your main guys to come through. It, it's when you get to the bottom of the order or when you get to your bench. When, when they start doing things like that, you know you've got something. We always talk about the offense or the pitching, the starters, the bullpen or Dusty, or whatever, you know, we always talk about all these other things, but as you watched the Astros against these other elite teams over the last few weeks, it's easy to take the Astros' defense for granted, and it was just a constant reminder when you saw how these other teams played defense that we are blessed to root for a team that makes the basic play and consistently makes exceptional plays too, Stephen. The Astros have the best fielding percentage in baseball. Well, and, and you know, we have talked a little bit about how sometimes, I, I think it was on the last podcast, we we talked about, uh, you know, sometimes uh, Altuve and, and Bregman, they, they make some difficult throws or, you know, difficult for Yuli Gurriel anyway at first base. But, you know, more often than not, they're going to make the plays that they need to make. And so it, it really isn't that surprising. I mean, these are, guys are good fielders. And the other thing I think that you can put into the Astros offense, Robert, is that they are taking advantage of other teams' defensive mistakes. The White Sox had a few gaffes. You know, not surprisingly, the Baltimore Orioles had a few gaffes on Monday night. But the Astros are taking advantage of those gifts. They're being given gifts. And, you know, they they still run into those occasions where they have runners on base and they can't bring them around. I mean, the game on Sunday, they, they left a ton of men stranded. It could have been you know, scored 20 runs, but they are for the most part taking advantage of other teams, defensive mistakes and their own defense has been pretty sound. I mean, where do you start? Martin Maldonado, you know, you just sort of take him for granted at this point. Yuli, we, we don't take him for granted because we talked about him last week, but you go to Altuve, who's I think having one of his better defensive years at second base. And then uh, nobody takes, for granted Correa, but boy, it's just going to be sad to see him leave at the, like I said, I think he's gone at the end of the season. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't see how the Astros are going to be able to pay him or going to want to pay him uh, the kind of money that he's going to be looking for. And then Miles Straw, you know, I, I got to say I, I was wrong about him defensively because he looked terrible early in the year, but he's, he's vastly improved over the last few weeks and couple of months. So Good on Miles Straw, and then you can count on Brantley just to be rock solid like he is at the plate out in the left field. It, 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 everywhere, they, they look really good defensively. And even your pitching staff, you got a, a guy that 
has consistently won gold gloves in Zach Greinke. And, you know, they've got other guys on that pitching staff, too, that just do a nice job out in the field and you can count on. I mean, Frambor had a throwing error the other day, but it's a rare thing with, with these pitchers to make just dumb throws. Well, that's right. And, and getting to Altuve, you know, we haven't really talked much about the rejuvenation of Jose Altuve. We we talked a lot about the rejuvenation of Yuri Gurriel, but, you know, last year, gosh, we, we were worried sick about Altuve, especially in the postseason of what in the world is going on with him. And this year, you know, not only has he gone back to the Jose Altuve that we know both offensively and defensively, but but I think one, one of the hidden storylines, Robert, is that he has really taken to that leadoff spot. And, you know, I know it's still a fairly small sample size when you stack it up against several years of George Springer being in that spot. But, you know, the guy's doing it all. I mean, he's getting on base, leading off games. He's hitting leadoff home runs the way George Springer did. I, I mean, it, I, I don't think you can discount at all the value that Jose Altuve has provided in the leadoff spot. You know, the other thing that I think we can throw in there, too, is that Dusty seems to be more comfortable putting Jordan Alvarez out in left field. He's played a few more games there lately, and that's going to open up more possibilities with the DH. You know, you, you can have Gurriel in that spot every now and then. You can have Brantley in that spot. It, it, if Alvarez can play left field more consistently and even just do a decent job, I mean, I'm, I don't know if he's going to ever turn into an all-star outfielder, but just the fact that he's out there, that opens up even some more possibilities for the Astros offense. And the pitching, you know, it, as you mentioned, it has certainly stabilized a lot more. And, and you know, even with the six-man rotation thing, I mean, you got to say, at least lately, the, the tandem of Jake Odorizzi, Christian Javier seems to be working, going in the same game. I mean, that that that's, I guess, kind of solved temporarily the problem is that you've got six pitchers in your rotation. You know, one thing when you're talking about Jose Altuve that I was thinking about is maybe he needed the fans booing at him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was it at Yankee Stadium? I think uh, on the last game of that series, they, uh, you know, they were effing his birthday, weren't they? And uh, he hits a home run. So I, I think, honestly, you know, these players should have known that was going to come. Uh, it's But it's one thing to know it and try to prepare for it, but another thing to go through it. It's easy for you and me to sit here and say that, but how would we like that kind of treatment, you know, walking into a hostile environment and trying to be at the top of your game? But Jose Altuve, as much as anybody, certainly has done that about as well as any of the other Astros players who were on that 2017 team. We are starting to see some good signs in the bullpen from Ryan Stanek and Blake Taylor. Not that I'm all that confident in them at this point, but it, it's something, Stephen. Well, Ryan Stanek, I mean, he, you know, he got off to a great start, and then he ran into that little stretch. And I think sometimes we tend to remember that these guys are going to have stretches where they're going to be up and down. I mean, if you're pitching that consistently throughout the year, it's just going to happen. But, you know, sometimes we we tend to press the panic button maybe a little too much. But the things have certainly stabilized with the bullpen. I, I think one of the big keys to that, of course, is that the starters have been more consistent. You're, you're getting more innings out of these guys. You're able to rest the bullpen a little bit more. You really need to have that over the course of a 162-game season for even some of these guys to be effective. And then when you get into July and you, you have guys like uh, Austin Pruitt and Josh James, you know, may eventually join the team that that's going to create, you know, a little more, you know, some more open spots for them to come in there. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens between now and then when those guys come back. 
you're not going to convince me that Josh James is going to be any good because we've been waiting for that for two or three years. Well, and the same with Austin Pruitt. I mean, these guys haven't pitched in a while. They, they're basically going through their spring training and, and still trying to come back from injury. So, yeah, I, I don't know what that's going to do. But, uh, you know, any if they do come back on the roster, then it is going to affect whatever moves are made. I'd like to hear any word about Pedro Baez because he's a guy that has a track record, a long track record of success. Yeah, at this point, I've I've heard very well next to nothing on on Pedro Baez, and I think it. You know, the the later that these guys come back, the harder it's going to be for them to pick up where they would have left off and have some consistency as the season gets older. So, I, I mean, I'd almost rather just err on the side and say that you probably aren't going to get a lot of contributions from these guys this season. You know, maybe next year, or you know, if you do get it late in the season, it's just going to have to be in very specific situations for any of these guys to I think make a contribution but you never know any final thoughts on the Astros I mean it's smooth sailing right now you you just hope the Bregman injury isn't something serious that's going to keep him out for a long stretch but you know I think you got to play it safe with him with all of the issues that he's had this year just get him healthy for the playoffs if he's got to sit out a month two months you know, you hope it's not something super serious because we, we don't know anything at this point. And James Click was asked about it and he said, we have no idea. It could be two weeks. It could be much longer than that. We don't know. Well, at this point in the season, there's really no, there's no reason to rush Bregman coming back. I mean, I'd rather have him for the stretch run, you know, than, than try to put him in too early. And then he goes out again because he re-aggravated something. Hey, if, you know, if guys like Abraham Toro can, actually play more consistently the way they have, or Robel Garcia, or, you know, Aledmis Diaz, you know, we had to remember him. He's still out. He's going to come back at some point. So, you know, if, if you can rest Bregman more now, I'd rather that happen and just have him come back a little bit later, and maybe he can stay healthy the rest of the season and, and give you what you need. Let's go to the Rockets because the NBA draft is tonight. But uh, we're going to have to hit on what happened next week. Uh, we don't have him. Much to say at this point, but hopefully we'll be talking about a high draft pick. Meanwhile, Stephen, today, June the 22nd, what happened 27 years ago on this date? Do you know? June 22nd, that's 94, right? So, well, well, we talked last week about what happened on in 1995. So it only stands to reason that in 94 was the first championship. Yep, they beat the Knicks in game 7 of the NBA Finals and you know, I don't I don't know if we've talked a, a ton about it just you and me. I'm sure I've talked about it in the past, but yeah, there there was definitely tears that night and it wasn't just the players, it wasn't just uh, uh their families. It was the entire city of Houston because they had waited, we had waited so long for a, a Houston championship. There was so much heartbreak and and to do it with Akeem who was so much a part of that heartbreak was really cool. And to do it with Rudy Tomjanovich, who was somebody that was a original Houston rocket from back in the day. I mean, you had all of those elements coming together. Like you just couldn't write it in a script. You couldn't put it in a book. No, you sure couldn't. And, and I remember that game so vividly, Robert, it was, it, you know, it started late for one thing and it was a Wednesday night. I remember, cause I had just come home from church and, and, at the time, I was doing a morning show uh, at a radio station here in Austin. So you know what that means. You know, you got to get up at the crack of dawn, basically, and <laughs> get into the station. But that night, you know, I watched the game, 
And then uh, I was I, I was able to pick up KTRH, you know, the, it was carrying the rockets, and I was able to pick them up even from Austin at night. And I was listening to the postgame show, just listening to, you know, all the callers calling in. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wish I could remember who was doing the show at the time, but I can't. I probably listened to that till one or two in the morning. So I may have gotten an hour of sleep, if that. And yet when I got up that next morning, I was still pumping on adrenaline because, you know, I, I wasn't around. Well, I think I, I was born the year that the Oilers won their last AFL championship. Okay. So as far as a pro team winning a title, I, I kept thinking, you know, when is it going to happen for the Oilers winning the Super Bowl or the Astros winning the World Series or the Rockets winning an NBA title? So let me tell you that that win in 94, that that championship, it, it really validated things for me that man, finally, one of the three major Houston teams won a major championship in my lifetime. And that's why I'll never forget it. What I remember most from that night is I called up my friend from high school in the last few minutes of the game. And I said, can you turn on the radio? I want to hear Gene and Jim. And I was listening to them when Mad Max hit that dagger three. And it was the real key point. That's the moment where you knew the Rockets are going to be NBA champions. And, you know, just such a great memory. Unfortunately, you know, I wasn't here. I couldn't enjoy the parade. I couldn't run out in the streets. It sucked. I'm up in college at the time, but it, at least I got that. And, you know, it was just so sweet. And the only thing that was frustrating, of course, was a lot of it got sort of brushed aside because of what was going on with the OJ Simpson thing during that finals and the whole backstory and everything else that was going on with that it kind of took away from the sports world a little bit. But still, uh, we knew who won the championship and, you know, the stupid thing where they were trying to take it, take it away years later. Well, Jordan didn't play that year, but we know this real story and, and the Rockets earned that championship and the Rockets, you know, they, they could have easily beat the Bulls those years because as we've talked about, you know, the Bulls did not have the same team without Horace Grant in that 94 season. And I, I don't know if he comes Back to the Bulls. I don't know if they've got the money to spend on him the way the Orlando Magic did. And and so, yeah, that was a big part of it as well. Yeah, I always resented that thinking. But as you said, Robert, you, you can't change what the what the history books say. You know, the, the game was what it was. And I'm sure there were a lot of people cheering for the Knicks to beat the Rockets. Yeah, didn't, whatever. Uh, but, but the fact remains, they not only won that championship, they did again the next year under even bigger odds. You know, we talked about it in the last podcast how, you know, they had to do it from being a sixth seed. And it was even more difficult, I guess, to you know come from that. So the fact that they won two in a row, as I mentioned last time, it, it just it validated that first one for me. So, yeah, people can say whatever they want, but it doesn't change what the facts are. Yeah, and I, I can't remember if Horace left before that year, if he left after the 94 season. But, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. We're seeing it. In this year's playoffs, everything that can happen, whether it's injuries or matchups or whatever, all of that plays into it. We got to get into this crazy second round of the playoffs because both Daryl Morey and James Harden, both of their teams, they've lost heartbreaking game sevens in the last week. But guess what? Either P.J. Tucker wins a championship, Clint Capella wins one, Chris Paul wins one, or the combo of Pat Beverly, Patrick Patterson, and Boogie Cousins wins, wins a title. You got all these Rockets 
are in this mix, Stephen. It's super interesting to see what happens here. Oh, I don't know. It's a mixed bag, Robert. You know, on one hand, you're happy for these guys because they did play for the Rockets and you you want the best for them. But on the other hand, you're you're sitting there going, well, yeah, they're still in the playoffs. And not only are the Rockets not in the playoffs, they were the worst team in the league this year. So (laughs) I guess it's mixed emotions, you know, but I, you know, as much as I guess some purists wanted Oh, you know, LeBron James or, you know, the the big, big stars to be in it. I honestly like it when it's like this, when it's unknown, that you have no idea who's going to win this thing. That, you know, for me, that that's where a true fan is. If, if my team's not in it, I tend to more often than not cheer for an underdog team or a team that has just has never won it or hasn't won it in a long time. I like these weird matchups. I, I can really get into it more, I think, than just the, the predictable you know, LeBron James versus Steph Curry year after year after year or something like that. So I'm loving this kind of the NBA playoffs at this moment, Robert. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, I even wrote that down as a note when uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but we can get into it now uh, because, you know, for the NBA casual fan, they might not care about the Hawks and the Bucks and the Suns and the Clippers, but I amen to what you just said. I love it. This playoffs gives real hope for so many NBA fans. It's cool to see non-destination NBA teams and non-super teams win a title, which in this case is going to happen. I mean, you could say Los Angeles is a destination, but it's always destination for the Lakers, not the Clippers. Uh, You've got to go back to the Mavs and Pistons for modern examples of a year like this. But both of them had to hold off super teams in the finals Nobody's going to be facing a super team in the finals this year. Yeah, that's what's great about it. You know, in a team like the Clippers, who, who have had, they've come so close in the last few years to come up short and they finally got over, you know, at least this hump. So it, it's teams like that that I, I just got to put my, you know, at least my, my cheering eggs into that basket. And I, I, I mean, it's kind of nice. I'm, I'm neutral. I mean, I'd love the Rockets to be in it, obviously. But sometimes it's just nice to sit back and be neutral and just, just see how it plays out. Let them beat each other up and, See who's left standing at the end. Going back to all these former Rockets in the final four here, which one of these guys, which one would you like to see win the title the most, Stephen? Wow, that's a good question. I I mean, at this point, I'd have to say I'm probably cheering for Chris Paul, maybe more than the others. You know, just his his hustle and how, how close the, the Rockets came. You know, we, we talk about it a lot, but gosh, you know, they did come close with him. I, I just like his intensity and, and the fact that, you know, every time you think you count him out, he just keeps coming back. You know, whether it's the injuries or, you know, being out with something else. It's just I, I think I've got my eye on Chris Paul right now because I'm I'm just, you know, I'm a Western Conference guy. So but if I were to pick an East team, I'd probably have to go with the Hawks. Well, for me, it's Clint Capella might be my number one guy just because. He feels like Rockets through and through. He was with the team longer than any of the other guys that we mentioned. He did not want to go and play for another team like P.J. Tucker and James Harden didn't express anything like that. He was a Rocket at heart, and I've always loved watching him as a player and his development and the effort that he put in to get better. But yeah, Chris Paul's right there. With Chris, it's... He's been a great player for so long, and I I just didn't think it was fair that here's a guy that, oh, he's never 
gotten to an NBA finals and maybe it's something wrong with Chris Paul. I, I just don't buy that. You know, the other thing about Chris Paul is uh, he was somebody that I liked before he came to the Rockets. Yeah. Yeah. Except when they played the Rockets. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, like, yeah, of course. But yeah, he was all, somebody I've always liked because of his size and, you know, just the style of play that he had. But the the one thing I was thinking about, Stephen, is how important these guys are going to be in this next round because Clint Capella, he's going to have somewhat of a big responsibility if he's going to be guarding Giannis, which I assume he's going to quite a bit in this series. You know, he already had to go against Embiid in this playoffs. And then you've got Chris Paul, who now he's in the health and safety protocols, um, they, they're going to need him back, you would think, to win this whole thing. And when he gets back, not only we know how key he is with the Suns, but also uh, I would assume the guy that's going to take some responsibility in guarding him quite a bit is our old friend Pat Beverly. Uh, good old Patrick Beverly. There's never a dull moment with him. I, you know, he, he certainly was a colorful player when he was with the Rockets. I, I've just, you know, ever since he's left the team, I haven't been. A, a huge fan of Patrick Beverly, but he, he is still where he is for a reason. So, yeah, it's going to be intriguing with these matchups to, to see, you know, especially if, you, you know, you pit one rocket against another. Wow. Yeah. Who do you cheer for then? <laughs> that's that's for, that's another intriguing, uh, I guess, storyline to watch. I want to go to that series with James Harden because, you know, watching that unfold, it was plainly obvious that the Nets with three superstars on their team two of them basically worthless because Kyrie Irving was out for most of that series. And then James Harden had the hamstring injury. And even when he played, it was terrible. I mean, he just wasn't the old James Harden and you could say, Oh, he would have just disappeared in the fourth quarter like usual, but he would have given Kevin Durant a lot of rest and, you know, his legs might've been good for that one extra jumper that they needed in game seven from uh, Kevin Durant late in the game you know, just having James take some of the load off of him early in those games. So yeah, he would have mattered a great deal. But the what stuck out is just the fact that Milwaukee is so poorly coached. And I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, Budenholzer, uh it might have saved his job, but I don't know if that's good for Milwaukee because if they don't win it this year, I still would want to change coaches. He's just not that good. And there's just a lot of things that just bothered me about that whole thing. And I, I don't know why you wouldn't have put Giannis on Kevin Durant late in these games because, you know, there's no way that P.J. Tucker was ever going to stop Kevin Durant. He's going to get a, a jumper that's basically uh, unimpeded because P.J. Tucker's just not tall enough to block the shot. Giannis is tall enough to block the shot and, and does make it tough on Kevin Durant, I, I just don't get so much of what happened in that series. And it could have been the worst thing ever to, to happen to Milwaukee for them to to win that series. I, I don't know. Well, and especially you consider last year how, uh, you know, of course, Giannis was hurt. That was a key. But, you know, two years in a row, if they had lost again this year, you'd almost have to wonder. But, yeah, the, the matchups, I think, that were so questionable. And I know you, you talked about it on Twitter, Robert, uh, you know, and, and we did mention it on the podcast briefly. But, yeah, I think for me it was just the the rotation and the, the matchups that Coach Bud was putting in there that just kind of made you scratch their head. So I, I think the Bucks may have won this series in spite of Budenholzer, <laughs> not because of him, believe it or not. Oh, no question about it. And another series that we got to 
mention at least because two weeks ago I picked the Hawks over the Sixers and last week maybe I panicked a little bit I backed off of it yeah we texted about that you and I this past week you know what they say Robert go with your instincts you could go with your first instincts because yeah that 26 point comeback yeah Rockets fans ought to know about blowing 25 some odd point leads you know I see the the Hawks come back against the Sixers wow that was quite a game um, you know, and the Clippers even made a comeback of their own. So, yeah, I, I would just say, let you know, go ahead and stick with the Hawks. I mean, they kind of scared you a little bit, but hey, you made the pick. Might as well stick with it. It's not going to look that bad, I don't think. Oh, I got to give some props to Kevin Herter. Red Velvet is the nickname that I love for him, and <laughs> he was just such a huge deal. It was Kevin Herter that was carrying them to that Game Seven win, not Trey Young. Trey Young struggled that whole game. Uh, Kevin Herter a guy that nobody thought would be a major factor in this year's playoffs and what a job he's doing. And and I got to get to Ben Simmons now because you know this, Steven, we talked about it. I'm not a fan of Ben Simmons. I wasn't a fan of trading for Ben Simmons, but for all the Simmons haters on Rockets Twitter, they were vindicated. And Steven, I don't think Simmons will be in Philly this year. Not exactly a bold prediction there. I know, but as bad as he looks, Let's not forget that Embiid might be the worst NBA superstar or star period to pair him with. Get Simmons to a team without somebody who clogs the middle. I think it's going to be a better match then because although his mental makeup, see his free throws are an issue, I just feel like you put him on a team where he's playing more inside and not, you know, kind of with somebody that needs that inside and, and it helps him quite a bit. But, man, that, that mental stuff with him, oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I know we, we talked a lot about, you know, possibly trading James Harden to the Sixers for Ben Simmons. And I know that neither one of us were fans of that. Now, of course, looking back, I don't know, maybe, it, you know, considering what the Rockets ended up with <laughs> from the James Harden trade, you know, maybe Ben Simmons would have been a little bit better. But, yeah, you're, you're right. And I think sometimes it, it's as much as who you play with as to what your success is going to be as to your own physical talents. And maybe Ben just isn't in the right situation, but either way, I, I don't know how they can just stand pat with both of those guys there in Philly uh, after what happened this season. Well, you just said with what they ended up with, well, that's the other big story is the Nets didn't win it this year. And by the end of next year, they got to make the decision, not the Nets, but the players are going to be making the decision whether they want to stick around with the Nets. And if they don't, uh, or if it goes off the rails after next year, uh, Stephen, this trade actually at this point, the, the the draft picks look as about as good as you can imagine because it looks like maybe that thing just falls apart after a couple of years. If you're a Rockets fan, that's what you have to hope for, and that's one of the reasons. Sometimes you you've got to wait a few years before you can really decide was this a good trade, a bad trade, or did it come out even? And and that's really the key is the draft picks. And if you look at what the Sixers are going to do. I would think that Daryl Morey is not going to want to hold on to Ben Simmons no matter what he's saying right now. So I think that the Ben Simmons for C.J. McCollum deal looks like the obvious trade for them. Their salaries match up. Simmons gives Portland badly needed wing defense. McCollum gives Philly shooting and space for Embiid. If you put Dame Lillard, Norm Powell, Robert Covington, and one more shooter with Simmons, then maybe his lack of shooting doesn't look like such an albatross. Even the, the other thing is, 
I, I don't know if I make that deal. I'm potentially either putting Nurkic on the bench or maybe looking to ship him out because I don't want Ben Simmons and Nurkic to be on the floor at the same time. I don't think that's going to work in the playoffs. Ooh, that's an intriguing thought. Um, and, and again, I think it's, yeah, you, you put a player in the right situation where you can take some of the pressure off of him as a shooter. I, I think he would be a good fit in a Portland system. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to keep our eyes on that and see if something like that develops over the offseason. Not only do we have to question whether you make a playoff run with Ben Simmons, but throw Rudy Gobert into the conversation. It wasn't just that the Clippers rendered him useless with small ball, Stephen. It was how Gobert didn't recover and block shots when those smaller players, the smaller guys, drove to the basket. Utah has to plan for a future where they can play 35 minutes a game without Rudy. I mean, I just don't see him being somebody in today's NBA that you can just throw out there for 30. They had him on the floor for 42 minutes in that last game, and he was minus 24. Yeah, that's brutal. And, uh, you know, the Jazz, just when you think that maybe they're making some strides, you know, that the regular season is, is not always the story, and they stumbled in the playoffs again, and Rudy Gobert is a big reason for that. They were talking about him how you know, much he's come back through the the regular season. And, you know, we kind of put that whole COVID-19 farce thing to rest. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's how you play in the postseason. And he did not get it done. And neither did the Jazz. Everybody said, oh, that's just James Harden. And he's causing Gobert problems in past playoffs when the Rockets were beating up on that matchup. But it, it wasn't just a James Harden thing. And uh, I'm going to get to the, the actual series that are going on right now do you like the Clippers or the Suns Stephen can the Clips do it without Kawhi because it sounds like Kawhi is done for the playoffs I, I I'm just not seeing him coming back from all the reports I mean that's that's really what you have to keep your eye on is a, a knee injury that could keep him out the rest of the playoffs and of course you know we, we talked about Chris Paul being outside I don't know that you know both teams have got some uh, question marks as far as the injuries or, or just players being out is concerned it's a toss-up, you know, and, and as much as I, I obviously, if, if I'm going to cheer for Chris Paul, it means I cheer for the Suns. But, you know, the, the Clippers, as I said, they, they've tried to get there for the last few years and just haven't quite made it. So, I don't know. I, I still think maybe, you know, the Clippers might have had the edge if, if Leonard had been in there. But since he's not, it's it's really a toss-up for me. I mean, the Suns, I, I have to say, they, they may be in the driver's seat at this point. I just look at it like this. The Suns are the deeper team. They look to be the team that is playing more as a team uh, right now. And they've got home court advantage. And the Suns fans have been extraordinary in this playoffs. The Clippers, not exactly a rabid fan base. I feel like they they got all the advantages going at this point. I mean, they showed that they could even win without Chris Paul. I mean, yeah, the Clippers were winning without Kawhi, but they might not have Kawhi, period. So if you're showing you can win without Chris Paul, uh, that's something. And 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 definitely uh, like how Booker is playing. And if, if it's the difference between Booker and Paul George, I'm taking Booker. If it was Booker and Kawhi, maybe you got to go with Kawhi. And it's, you know, typically the best player wins the series. Obviously, it didn't happen with the Nets series, but, you know, that was because they were so thin without you know their other two superstars. But yeah, usually it's the 
best player, the most talented player, the one that plays the best in that series wins the series. Yeah, that's right. And you talk about the Suns fans, man, talk about a hungry bunch. Uh, they, they've been starved for just a playoff team. So can you imagine how those fans are, are really getting into it as deep as the Suns are going into the playoffs? So, yeah, I, I, it's going to be an intriguing series, I, I have to say. And that's one of the reasons that I'm just kind of glad that the playoffs are shaping up like this, that we're, we're getting some teams that we're not used to seeing this deep into the playoffs. And then, you know, you, you add the injury question marks or in Chris Paul's case, the COVID protocol question marks in there. And that it just makes it even more intriguing to watch to see who's who's going to be left standing in the ring when it's over. It's better to be lucky than good so much of the time in the NBA. And the Suns could make this run to the finals by going through the Lakers without a healthy Anthony Davis, the Nuggets without Jamal Murray, and the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. Uh, let me ask you this, Stephen. Can the Hawks beat the Bucks. Yeah, that's going to be a tough order. But, you know, as we were saying earlier, uh, <laughs> the, the Bucks may have won in spite of Coach Bud. They may lose because of Coach Bud if he keeps doing the, the matchups and the rotations the way he is. No, I, I think the Hawks have a very good chance to to beat the Bucks, Robert. I, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that they could – I think they both teams can make this a great series. But, uh, no, I'd have to say that, you know, I, I might even go out on a limb and, and just – I know you you picked the Hawks. I may just go out on a limb and pick them too. It, it could very well happen. Yeah, I haven't picked the Hawks yet for this series, and I'm trying to think this through in my head. I, I, I want to say a couple things are going to be key here. Number one, I talked about Capella. That's a big deal, what he's going to have to do with Giannis because Blake Griffin did a fantastic job styming Giannis. I mean, Giannis put up some big numbers, but you know he couldn't get a lot of the easy baskets that he's used to getting and he just looked frustrated and sometimes didn't know what to do in situations where Blake Griffin was just backing up. And 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 then when he would get into the post, Blake and sometimes even James Harden would out-battle him uh, when he was trying to just, you know, bully ball his way to the basket. The other thing that's key here is Bogdanovich and his health. He needs to be healthy again for the Hawks, and he did not look good in Game 7. Uh, when he got injured. And, and I just think that, you know, you, you've got Trey Young and you got Herter. They've already lost DeAndre Hunter. To, to not have another offensive weapon like Bogdanovich over a seven-game series, it's a big deal. So if, if Bogdanovich is healthy, I like the Bucks because they're just better coached. And I just feel like they're playing better as a team right now. However, uh, with no Bogdanovich, it's going to be real tough to – to win. And and I think Trey's going to have some issues that he didn't have in the previous series on offense because Drew Holiday is one of the best defensive players in the NBA and he's close to Trey's size. And I think he could cause some real issues from Trey that, you know, some of the, I don't know, some of the guys with the Sixers couldn't handle, you know, they, the, they, the size was causing Trey some problems at times, but you know, Drew Holiday's got the quickness. Yeah, Bogdanovich is going to be a key for sure. But, you know, you're getting to Trey Young. I mean, he did struggle in that last game, and he's got to definitely step up and be more consistent, you know, and be the guy, I think, if the Hawks are going to come out on top. I think he's as much of a key as the other guys you talked about and, and with his matchups and just, you know, bringing that consistency that he did earlier in the playoffs. Yeah, give me another game or two, and I know we're not doing this until they've played a few games in the series next week. But I, I just feel like I need another game or two to see where we are with Bogdanovich. Let's, I want to see what's going to 
happen to him in the first game, second game, if he's, if he's going to be okay. And that, that's, yeah. that's a big deal. But, you know, I, I would personally, as I watch these playoffs play out, I would personally like to see the Hawks play the Suns in the finals because I just like the way they've played this entire postseason. I like the way that uh, everybody is involved with those teams and just they are so determined for all 48 minutes, nonstop hustle, and they just play together. I mean, I, I don't know a better way to put it. Well, you know, the networks would be cringing right now, but uh, you know what? I don't care about that. <laughs> it's, it, it is what it is. I think at this point, you know, as you get deep into the playoffs, Robert, it's it's about the survival of the fittest. Who's going to overcome the injuries or who, who's going to overcome the ineffectiveness more? But yeah, Hawks and Suns, I, I mean, that talk about a scrappy matchup. It certainly would be. Um, man, it just, it, it's so many intriguing storylines of this playoffs. You could just pick one. And it'd probably be okay with it as far as who would meet in the finals. The Olympic trials are going on as you and I are talking. And we'll, we might talk more about the Olympics when they get here. Uh, the trials, I know people are, are not super interested in that. It's usually a little bit more excitement once we get to the actual games themselves. But there was a tangential Olympic note this past week. The fastest man in Olympic history, Usain Bolt, he and his partner had twin boys this week. Uh, his second and third kids. One of the twins is named Thunder. So, so his full what name is you know? what, Stephen? What's his full name? <laughs> Thunderbolt? <laughs> yes. What's his middle name? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's, a, it's a good question. Thunder Lightning Bolt. There, there you go. We. Can... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know the kids are going to have a field day with that one, don't you? Oh, it's great, though. I mean, if you got the name Bolt, there's so many great ways you can go with it. You might as well take the take that. Yeah, not. Uh, for all you Houston Sports Talk subscribers, look for a conversation that we're going to have in the next couple of days with the Sugarland Skeeters voice, Gerald Sanchez. We'll find out who's been looking good for the Astros AAA affiliate so far this year. So that should be fun. Of course, we're going to have the Rockets conversation next week. What's going to happen in the draft? We're going to find out. You can always reach us also on Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>